Yo, what's up, baby? This is Burt Watson, and you're listening to Pro Sports Podcasters, baby. The best sports podcast on the internet. The only one I know. Your night, your fight, you need to get it right and listen to Pro Sports Podcasters all night long. Boom. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Neolos Bruce, also known as NWB. I hope you're all well out there. I hope you've had a safe holiday season. Wishing you all the best for the new year. Make sure you start your, your 2024 right. Leave us a review and a rating. We appreciate that at the PSP. It helps the other two, Justin and Kobe. Helps them to sleep at night. And just really helps us out as a show. But with that out of the way, let's get on with the show itself. And we have a special guest. He's covered MMA and boxing for a number of years. This is our Friday show. Start your weekend off with a bang. And it is... The one and only, Kevin Ioli. Kevin, how you doing? I am great, Nee. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you very much. Likewise, Kevin. Now, as I said, you've been in the game for a while. You're based out in Vegas. Tell us, how did you get into writing about combat sports, just to begin with? Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, and... Uh, I started my college actually at the University of Miami in Florida, but I quickly transferred to a small school, Point Park University in uh, Pittsburgh. And while I was in college, I, I was a fight fan all my life. You know, I was a traditional sports fan. You know, I liked all the major sports, but I certainly loved fighting as well. And I got a job when I was 19 years old, a full-time job at a local newspaper in Pittsburgh. It was a small uh, six-day-a-week paper, you know, had about a 30 – I guess now it'd be considered a big paper, <laughs> about a 35,000 circulation back uh, at the time. And this was in the 1970s. And, um, you know, they had people covering the Penguins and the Steelers and the Pirates and college sports. And so I, I was hired to cover high school sports, but I had ambitions, right? And so there was a monthly boxing show uh, at a hotel probably – three miles from the paper. And so I love the fight. So I asked if I could go cover those fights and they said, yes. So I would go cover the fights whenever they happen once a month. I, th I believe it was on a Friday night, if I remember correctly, and uh, would do those. And I did that for about a year and a half, close to two years. And then all of a sudden, 
heavyweight championship fight comes to Pittsburgh. Larry Holmes was the champion at the time. So a little over a year after he had beaten uh, Ali, or maybe not even quite a, a year after he had beaten Muhammad Ali. And he's going to defend the title against the guy named Ronaldo Snipes in Pittsburgh. And it was live on ABC. And I never expected that I would get to cover the fight because I was the newcomer. And my boss said to me, well, you've been writing about boxing, so why wouldn't you be covering the fight? So I got to cover that fight. And it was a great experience, you know, that uh, heavyweight title fight at, at my age. And that was back in a time when still nearly every newspaper had a, bo a dedicated boxing writer. You know, it's unheard of now. But at that time, you know, virtually every major city had in the U.S. had a uh, its own boxing writer. So I got to do that. And as I, you know, sort of moved forward, I, I did cover other things, but I got I was kind of people always ask me, hey, can you cover fights? Can you cover fights? And so I ended up um, really becoming full-time into the fight business in, in the 80s. And uh, I started covering MMA. Um, I covered before the UFC uh, was owned by Zufa, but not much before. One of the guys at the Nevada Athletic Commission said to me, you better start learning about MMA because we are going to approve that in the next six months. So I went to one of the shows to watch it and started covering. And, and kind of it's all, you know, Everything, you know, fell into place after that point, and I started uh, doing MMA, and I was, the at the time, the only mainstream guy doing MMA and uh, doing boxing. And when I got hired at Yahoo Sports in 2007, they actually hired me as a boxing writer, and I brought up uh, covering MMA to them, and they said, go do it. So the rest is history. That's amazing. Yeah, you really you got in at the right time because MMA has become one of the fastest going, if not still the fastest growing sports in the world and it goes from strength to strength across all the promotions and you're right there in in vegas at the heart of it there's so many promotions fighting there all the time so that's a beautiful thing yeah and it was lucky lucky for me i mean i'm thankful that i got the opportunity and thankful you know it's like i love doing what i do right you know and so being able to to, to cover these fights and interview these athletes uh has been a treat for me fantastic now we're gonna come back to boxing in a moment but just staying with the the mma scene and the ufc why don't you talk, tell us a little bit about the one of the big talking points right now which is the, the bmf belt fight between justin gaethje and max holloway Kind of fighters from fighters from two different classes, but two fan favorites within the UFC. What, what what's your take on that? You know, I I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about whether I like it or don't like it. Just immediately off off the top of my head, you asking me that, I would say I don't like it. Um, you know, again, Justin's harboring uh, the thought of fighting for the title. I, Right, right now, he wants to fight for the uh, Islam Mahachev uh, for the lightweight championship right now, and so I, I don't see a reason for him to, you know, to defend against a guy in a different weight class, his title, the BMF title. I think it would be a great fight, right? But I think Gaethje is too big and physical for Max. But that would be the sell of it too, because you know Max has been so durable over the years and has been able to, um, you know take the shots um, and still come out on top. 
So, you know, I think it would be a fascinating fight if it happened. And, you know, if they made that fight, if that were the fight they made, I would, certainly would not complain about it. But I think that there are other fights, you know, especially from a Gaethje standpoint. You know, he's he's up highly ranked in the uh, division. He's won a lot of fights uh, subsequent uh, to have, the last time he's uh, fought for the championship against a lot of really, really good people coming off a win over Dustin Poirier. And I, I almost feel like in this, I don't mean this as a, a shot at Max, but it's almost like a step back then if you have to defend against a guy in a lower weight class than you uh, as opposed to getting a shot for the title given what he has accomplished yeah uh, that, that's a that's fair I, I remember seeing max up close and personal last time you'll see was in toronto in 2019 uh, mm-hmm. he's definitely he's definitely been around he's endured uh, he's also had some some epic fights against uh, uh one of my guys alex volkanovsky what's your thoughts on volkanovsky in 2024 well, I think, you know, he's going to have to kind of, you know, sort of start uh, over again in um, the featherweight division, right? So, but he's lucky because there's a, an opponent that he hasn't fought that has gotten a lot of attention, that's reeled off a lot of impressive wins in uh, Ilya Tapuria. And so I think, you know, if Volkanovski was going to come back and the fight was to fight uh, Max again for a fourth time or whatever, it would be a hard sell and it would be hard to get him motivated. I'm sure he would do it. But now being able to sit there and say, hey, I got this undefeated guy who has been very impressive and a lot of people are talking about. And, you know, Taporia has really been smack talking him and everything. And he's already updated uh, or tried to at one point updated his record to 15-0, indicating he already scored a victory over Volkanovski. I think that that's a, a cool thing. So I think that's the kind of fight that will get Volkanovski uh, juiced up and excited to fight. And, you know, when Volkanovski is ready to fight, and on top of his game, I mean, there's nobody better. So I think that's it's a fascinating fight for him uh, going up against Ilya. For sure, for sure. Now, just quickly looking back to 2023, what was the highlight or maybe even the, the fight or the card of the year for you when it comes to the 2023 year in UFC? Well, I mean, I think, you know, a couple of different uh, answers to that. But I think the fact that Mahachev and Volkanovsky, who a lot of people had ranked one and two, they fought twice. And so I think, you know, that is a, a huge moment, you know, the fact that they fought twice during the year. And, it, you know, you want the best against the best. And now you have number one pound for pound versus number two pound for pound. I personally had John Jones number one. So for me, it was number two versus number three. But still, you know, whenever you can get that level of fight off, you know, it is it's significant. Now, you know, you talk about, okay, what was the card of the year? And there's a number of different cards that I guess, you know, you could point to and say this card was better than but I think that UFC 295 card in New York was just a phenomenal card I think if I remember correctly all the main card fights finished in stoppages I mean there was a ton of them you had the the big upset well I, I shouldn't even say upset but the the heavyweight fight with um, with Pajeda and um, Aspinall or not Pajeda and Aspinall uh, Pavlovich and Aspinall I'm sorry about that that was such a you know 
short made fight. And now all of a sudden you're going to have those two, you know, going at it and they put on a great show. Aspinall wins that one by knockout. To me, I really thought that was, uh, was a, a tremendous card, but there were a lot of really good cards, you know, Volkanovsky and Mahachev won that card. UFC 284, you know, really had a, you know, had a lot of, um, Good ones on there, and and then the the um, July fourth card also, you know, in in uh, Las Vegas, Volkanovski beats Rodriguez. I mean, that was a, a tremendous KO. Uh, Pantoja won the flyweight title on that card. Uh, Drikas Duplessis, I think, staked his claim as a an elite middleweight with a knockdown on that card. So th- those are some of the cards I think you know that deserved uh, to be up there. there and Robbie Lawler retired on that one. But, you know, I think when you have Volkanovsky versus uh, uh, Mahachev going, uh, that's a tough one to beat. For sure. For sure. And one thing that's tough to beat, Kevin, is, is your coverage. So Thank you. Why don't you tell us where it's Fight Friday. The year is going to be young. A lot of time folks listen to this. Tell us about your new website that you've got going on now nowadays. Sure. So I have been at Yahoo Sports uh, for nearly 17 years. Didn't quite make it to 17 years. I got laid off with about 40 other journalists on December 1st. And so, you know, it wasn't time for me to retire and I still enjoy doing this. And I got really motivated. And so I said, I'm going to, you know, work for myself for the last couple of years that I work. So I started a website and I already had the website, kevinioli.com. I had created a WordPress blog about 10 years ago just to write about things that I was interested in that were non-fighting that were not for work. And I, I would go, you know, sometimes I wouldn't post at all. And then I would post, you know, for a couple stories and, you know, but it was not really being used. So when I got laid off, I decided, well, I'm going to create my own site and I'm going to create an app with it. So I have a company now that's working on developing a website and developing an app for me that will be able to uh, be out there. But I wanted to make sure people knew that I was still in the game and that, you know, when I got laid off by Yahoo that I wasn't done. So I started writing um, my fight stuff on KevinIoli.com just as I was doing before. Covered the fights, was at the fights, and and doing everything the same as I'm doing before. When my site comes out, it's going to launch sometime in January and the app will come out with it. I think it's going to really, people are going to be really impressed because one of the things when I was at Yahoo, you were at this general, you know, general interest site with people from all over the world. Now I'm going to have a smaller site that are going to be only populated by combat sports fans, right? And so as a result, having that kind of, um, that kind of audience, I can write things that I could not write on Yahoo before. You know, at, at Yahoo, I had a great time there and everybody treated me really, really well. And I loved and I have not a bad thing to say about my time at Yahoo. But I had to focus on the big names, the big stars. And of course, I'm going to still focus on that. But I can also write about a lot more about smaller promotions and about news in the industry and about up and coming fighters and and all that kind of stuff, you know, as I do this uh, new venture, because it's going, you know, a lot of times on Yahoo, if it wasn't the A-list movie star or the A-list uh, quarterback in the NFL or, um, you know, whatever, it didn't get a lot of traffic on a story. And so I always had to be mindful of I got to get the big name boxers and the big name MMA fighters 
to be in my story so that I would keep traffic going uh, for the company. Now, you know, I'm more, I'm going to be driven by what fight fans want, you know, to, in, and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to have a podcast. I'm going to co-host with a, a really good trainer, Stephen Bredman Evan, uh, uh, Edwards, and that's going to be my boxing podcast. I'm going to have an MMA podcast. I don't have my co-host yet, but I'm going to do that. Uh, so I'll have both a boxing and an MMA podcast. I'm going to have videos where I, the full interviews I do with fighters. Uh, I'm going to cover not only boxing and MMA, but I'm also going to cover bare knuckle fighting. And I'm going to do a little bit on the slap fighting, probably on slap fighting. It'll be more written and video. I mean, uh, video content more than written content on the uh, slap fighting, but I'm going to, you know, have a lot of content on there. I'm also going to have a forum set up on the page for fight fans to talk about the fights and there'll be open comments below uh, my stories and everything. So I really want it to be a sense of community, a place where like fight fans can go and I'm not looking for negativity and bad stuff. I want it to be a really good place where you can debate who's going to win the fight, who's the better fighters, what fights do we want to see, you know, who are the best fighters of all time were, those kind of things. And that's what I hope that KevinIoli.com uh, will ultimately end up being once this app and the uh, website are released sometime in January. Fantastic. I look forward to that. Uh, there's obviously a body of work that's going on behind the scenes, but I'm sure it will be successful and look forward to that. Now, the, the, the podcast, is that going to be video or is it going to be, sorry, is it going to be audio only or is it going to be audio and video? We have not decided that yet. So I have, um, I have an expert that I've hired that's going to work with me on YouTube and try to help me maximize things. And we haven't gone over that yet. My guess is going to be that our podcast will start as an audio only podcast, but eventually that will transition it to a video podcast. Um, and so have both, but I, I'm guessing at the start, We'll start out just audio, but that's one that I could be wrong on. So, but definitely uh, we will eventually, you know, however we start, eventually we will have, uh, of, it'll be video um, as well as audio. Nice. We'll watch this space. Now, Kevin, you touched on the the smaller MMA promotions in and around the, the wider ecosystem, I guess, the world. The world does mm -hmm. kind of revolve around the UFC a little bit, but we still have Bellator, we've got PFL, we've got one, we've got different competitions happening all the time. It's like there's never a weekend without MMA. But um, right. PFL have made waves in a couple of ways. I mean, last year it was the agreement with Francis Ngannou coming over from the UFC, and then the the acquisition of Bellator, which happened in 2023. So I've got to ask a couple of questions. First up. Sure. Who is Francis Ngannou going to fight? Are we going to see him fight in the PFL? Is it going to be someone like Ryan Bader? Who do you think it's going to be? Yeah, I mean, you know, he is going to have to fight in the, on the PFL. So the PFL has a lot of different series. It's kind of complicated for people. I think it'll become clear once they start running some shows. But they are going to have a PFL uh, PFL pay-per-view division, and Francis is going to fight in that. So he's not going to be in the season-long tournament, but he's going to be in their pay-per-view division. And so they have to bring a, a fighter over to him that is going to 
be a quality fight so that they can sell pay-per-view, right? And I don't know that they have anybody in the, you know, the PFL field itself that would be a big seller against Francis, right? So, you know, Bader would be good, but one of the other things they want to do is they want to have PFL champion versus uh, Bellator champion. That's going to be a show that they do every year. So that would mean Bader would would be involved in that, and so I don't know that he would be available to fight Francis. But I, I it wouldn't surprise me if they sign a free agent out there. At one point, there were, before Derek Lewis resigned, there was talk that the guy that they were trying to you know sign to get to fight uh, Francis would have been Derek Lewis. He, he obviously signed a, uh, a long term extension with the UFC. And so he's not going to be available for them. But I think that, you know, somebody of that ilk who will be available will be who they probably put Francis in with. Okay. Yeah, that'll be, again, the anticipation continues to build, especially after his crossover fight with the Gypsy King. Uh, <laughs> right. So Francis Garner still packs a punch, literally. <laughs> I, I, I do feel like he won that fight, by the way. What was your thought on, thoughts on that one? I had Fury uh, winning the fight. You know, I I had it uh, if I remember correctly, six rounds to four, and then with the knock, uh, the point off for the knockdown. But you know, it was it was a uh, it was a it wasn't a great fight, but it was a, a much more competitive fight than people thought it would be. And so as a result, I think people talked a lot about it. You know, more than they would have now. Hey, the fact of the matter is, and they can't deny this, it was a failure on pay-per-view. In the U.S., it did, I mean, literally next to nothing. I mean, there was hardly any sales of that fight whatsoever in the U.S. Now, the Saudis who put the fight on don't care about U.S. pay-per-view, and so that doesn't matter to them. So, you know, will they make Nganu versus Anthony Joshua? I mean, I think it's certainly a possibility that they that they try that. But, you know, I don't know that uh, the public is showing the kind of interest in, you know, Francis versus these boxers that some people think. So, you know, if they were really that interested in it, they would have bought the pay-per-view, right? And now the pay-per-view was on a bad time, you know, Saturday morning, basically Saturday afternoon, depending on where you live. But, you know, they had a chance to buy it and see it and, and they and they didn't. So what does that tell you? Uh, yeah, it's almost, well, it tells us that, um, <laughs> The Saturday afternoons cannot be moved in North America. If folks are out doing stuff, they're out doing stuff. So, and that's it. That's the thing, you know. That you just hit the nail on the head, right? So, you even UFC, they tried to bring the fights earlier a couple of years ago and mm. put the pay per views on, and they they quickly moved back to the ten o'clock Eastern start for the main card on their pay per views because. They realized people are doing things on Saturday, and they're not they're not available to you know, watch or buy pay per views on um, on on a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and so I don't know that the Nganu Fury fight would have ever done really really well, even if it was on at the normal pay per view start time, you know, in the evening. But certainly, it didn't have the best chance of being successful by being on when it was. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. And I'll also point it out as someone who's not from the U.S., I I do wonder if it hurts the bout if there's not an American involved or someone who spends a lot of time in America. I mean, Nganu, he's African, Congolese. Uh, and then you've got someone from the U.K. that may not move the needle as much as, say, Deontay Wilder might or maybe someone else. I mean, else. certainly, you know, I think, hey, if it, it would have been best for them if they had an American 
fighter uh, in it. I, I, I can't argue that. But I, I think, you know, that uh, uh, Francis, you know, transcends and so does uh, Tyson. And so I think that, you know, the names were big enough. Now, the you know, the thing was, one of the things that, you know, a lot of times in light of these signings, people say things like Francis is, was never a huge pay-per-view seller in the UFC, right? So it's not like Francis was out there and he was, you know, on the verge to being the next Conor McGregor. And, you know, that that just certainly was not the case. But he was a good guy because he's one of the most exciting fighters in the world. You know, this massive knockout puncher uh, who's on your roster. And anytime he's fighting, you know, people, they love to see uh, big knockouts. And, you know, would he have developed into, if he had stayed in the UFC, into a bigger, you know, drop? You know, who knows? You know, that's going to be on the PFL now to to do it and they're going to have to do it with uh, not having the name recognition among their heavyweights that that the UFC heavyweights have right so they're they're going to go up against uh, up against it a little bit I think you know in trying to sell because you know the name recognition on the other side won't be as good you know it'll be good among the hardcores the hardcore fans they watch everything and they know everything but generally pay-per-views are not sold you know are not successful i should say if only the hardcore fans are buying them because the hardcore fans are the smallest amount you have to cross over into the general audience the general sports audience and that's where your pay-per-view is going to be successful if you can get them buying the event and i think that's where you know they you know they're going to struggle a little bit with uh, whoever they you know they put um, francis against but the pfl i know is going to want him uh, need a fight soon because, you know, he hasn't fought in MMA uh, for, you know, it's going to be two years uh, in a couple of weeks. And um, what are they going to do with him? They're going to lose momentum if they don't, you know, if they don't make a plan and say, hey, this, you know, they got to tell people Francis is in the PFL and this is what he's doing and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so I think that they're really going to have to get him rolling uh, before much longer here. Indeed. No, I should check myself. I, I made a gaffe. I mentioned that Ngannou is from Congo. He's obviously from Cameroon. I was thinking of Impa Kassingane, who is from Congo and is a part of the PFL. My thought process there is when Ngannou fights, because as you say, he's, we're going to get the rubber on the road with him and his uh, PFL MMA career. When he does hit the cage, are we going to see the PFL Africa competition or like sub-competition come out from that? Because you've got Ngannou, you've got Kassingane, you've got Sadibusi, who's been through the, the tournament a couple of times. Is the time right for such a competition? Well, I, I, I mean, you know, I certainly think, given the way they're setting setting the uh, company up, you know, they're they're in need of pay-per-view stars, right? Now, it's, it's interesting, like, what was Impa when he was in the UFC, right? I mean, he was just a guy, and now he becomes the PFL champion. That's a story that I think has to be told next year, how far this guy came to become the PFL champion and what he had to overcome in his life. But I think, you know, they would be wise to keep him in the in the season again next year. I don't think, you know, Impa is well-known enough among anybody to – to be headlining or be one of the main bouts, you know, on a pay-per-view card. That doesn't mean they won't try it, but I think, you know, if they want the best 
you know, bit of success for themselves. I think they got to have the best matchups that they can possibly put on, on there. And they want to make sure that, you know, even the matchups, you know, maybe that aren't as high profile, but you know, are going to be just kick-ass fights, right? You know, really good, really quality, fun fights that the crowd's going to love. And if you can give them fights with big name fighters that are, you know, um, recognizable and that everybody knows. And then on top of that, make sure that there's a, um, a couple of really, really good fights on a show. Then, you know, then you have a chance, right? That's, you know, going to be the way they'll have a chance to survive in it. You know, they're confident that they have the platform and the marketing and everything to do it. So, you know, it's now let, let's watch and let's see if they can pull it off. I mean, I think it's great if they can pull it off because you have uh, – It'll be more jobs for more fighters and it'll be it'll be good for the sport. I think competition is good. So if the UFC has somebody that's doing really good pay-per-views, you know, and that forces them to be better, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I hope that they're able to do it. You know, I, ha I have my doubts given who they have on their roster, if they're going to be able to sell tons of pay-per-views, but they still have time to sign other people to, and, and and make their cards uh, go. There we go. And they have that. And I guess now they also have that port, that wider family support of, of Bellator to call upon so they can, they can create some, I guess, blockbuster fights down the line as well, having the champions of each go against each other potentially in the future. I think the thing the, the thing that's most important for PFL is create stars. I don't know that they have created their own stars yet. You know, Kayla Harrison might be the the one exception to that and you know, they had a good head start with her having back-to-back -back Olympians, but I think that they need to come up with their own stars that they develop and then consistently keep developing so that they, those fighters can make their name in their, you know, their series and the tournament series and then move on into the pay-per-view division. And it becomes like sort of, uh, you know, it'll just fill it. You know, you, you have somebody becomes a star during the, um, the tournament and then you put them in pay-per-view and you can take advantage of the stardom that they gained and then in the name recognition that they gained. UFC has been doing that for a while and they've been successful, but it's a very, very, pay-per-view is a very difficult business. Mm -hmm. And um, it's certainly no slam dunk. You know, I've seen a lot of really good pay-per-view cards sell nothing over the years because, you know, it's just a, a, a tough business to be in. So it's, it's going to be a challenge, but I think, you know, PFL wants to take it to the next level and that's, uh, that's a natural place to go. You know, Jake Paul is also in this mix. And uh, while I don't think Jake Paul is ever going to be confused as, you know, the best MMA fighter in the world, you know, he knows how to promote, he knows how to market. And depending on what they do with his opponent, you know, that could turn into um, a big fight as well. So we just have to, you know, kind of with the PFL, there's a lot yet to be learned about how it's going to go with them. Yeah, for sure. Sure, it's definitely definitely evolving and even when you look at the UFC side they they've signed up Michael Venom Page who was a mainstay yep. in Bellator for a long time and if I'm not mistaken he's going to fight Kevin Holland is that correct? Yes Kevin Holland in Miami so that'll be what is it UFC 299 I believe um, they'll have uh, Holland versus Page and I think you know that's the kind of thing the UFC needs to do you know they need to like I talked to Peter Murray from uh, the PFL and, you know, he had said to me, anytime a fighter becomes a free agent, 
we are going to be in the mix trying to sign that fighter. But the UFC is also going to be trying to sign, you know, some of their fighters, you know, fighters that they feel like have potential. You know, Page was a guy that, you know, he was um, somewhat of a uh, somewhat of a name coming out of Bellator and a guy that had been proven to be a fun, entertaining striker. He fought, fought that one fight in Mike Perry uh, against Mike Perry and uh, the bare knuckle. And it was an uh, entertaining fight. People liked it. And I think, you know, you'll see that fight uh, promoted. So I think, you know, it's going to it'll be interesting. 2024 is going to be interesting because you're going to see. I think a lot of movement, you know, you'll see some UFC fighters that have names that you recognize wind up in PFL slash Bellator and you'll have some uh, some uh, Bellator PF, uh, PFL fighters that will wind up uh, like uh, Michael Venom Page, like Michael Chandler has done in the UFC. But I think the key for both organizations is developing your own fighters and having that, you know, consistent talent pool of quality uh, fighters coming up. Absolutely. You mentioned 2024. It is a Summer Olympic year. i got to ask, do you think we'll ever see mixed martial arts in some form at a future Summer Olympic Games? You know, I think probably at some point there will be, but it's going to be difficult because, you know, you've got to compress it into a tour. Like, think about The Ultimate Fighter, and if you ever watch the season of The Ultimate Fighter, those are hosted over six, seven, eight weeks. Yeah. And now you're going to have to host it over two, two and a half weeks. And that makes it hard, guys, you know, get, you know, getting cut, guy, you know. And so what do you do if, um, you know, and especially in that they're going to be conservative, right, in terms of um, to allow somebody to fight. So I do think that it's something that a lot of people and some people with money want, but I'm not sure they're going to be able to pull it off because it's, you know, the health of the fighters is going to be an issue where professional MMA, they could have a cut, they could, you know, have, and they could go in there and, you know, and, and they'll still be allowed to compete. But you're in this amateur, you know, theoretically amateur tournament, you know, I don't know how you want to describe the Olympics, but, you know, they're <laughs> going to be conservative with however, we know Olympics aren't amateur, right? Let's not kid ourselves. But, but it's just, I think it's going to be tough because of how quickly people are going to have to come back. Like, so, and, and what do we do? It's, is it a fair tournament if we have only four uh, fighters in a division. I don't know that that's really fair, but then that that would be the only way where, you know, the fighter would have some kind of break. You know, you win your first run fight and now, but then that would automatically mean the winner of the first fight's meddling, you know? And so, I don't know, It's it, there's a lot of issues there. There's a, the IM, uh, IMMAF is trying to make it happen. They've been working on it for a long time. I was talking to them a lot when I was in Brazil covering the uh, Olympics in Rio. And it's, you know, it's going to be eight years uh, now and nothing has happened. But I, th I think probably I never say never, but it's going to be a tough one. Indeed. Indeed. It, will be, it will be fun. But yeah, logistically, there's, there's a lot of moving parts there. Now, now you touched on attending Rio. Are we going to see you in Paris covering, covering the boxing and the combat sports out there? Oh, I missed the, um, the first part of the question. Will we, sorry. will we see you in Paris in 2024? I don't know. You know, it's going to be interesting. Um, one of my goals uh, for my new company is to be able to travel to the fights and to be at as many of the big fights as I can be. Um, no boxing in the uh, Olympics, uh, you know, so that's going to, you know, in L.A., that's going to be a problem. Yeah. 
so I don't know, you know, that, that I don't have a credential yet for the Olympics. So that may be hard, hard for me to do to get an Olympic credential uh, at a site the size of mine, you know, probably going to be a difficult one to do. But I, I would I had a great time covering the Olympics. And if I could focus only on boxers in the Olympics, um, that would that would be amazing. But financially is also the other question mark for me. You know, uh, as I'm starting a new company, you know, I have to be cognizant of, you know, uh, I don't have a corporation like Yahoo that's going to pay for my uh, uh, travel and hotel room and all that mm-hmm. stuff, right? That's all coming out of, out of my pocket. And, um, and I know, you know, you have to spend money to make money, but, uh, you know, I have to be smart with my budget as I, as I, uh, as I work uh, and try to build this thing up into what I think it can become. Indeed, indeed, uh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. You gotta, you gotta make uh, calculated decisions. You don't wanna, you don't wanna put yourself in the hurt locker when going out on a limb with a venture. Now, let's take it back to when when you got into the fight game. You talked mm-hmm. about how you covered a title fight in Pittsburgh, Muhammad Ali, if I'm not mistaken. That to me, that's like a, I feel like that's a bucket list moment for many. If they could choose one moment, can you tell us a little bit more about that, if you don't mind? Well, my, you know, my the fight that the the first major fight that I cover was a heavyweight title fight, not Muhammad Ali. It was Larry Holmes against Larry Holmes. Ronaldo uh, Knights. Yes, yes, yes. And it, I, it was the what I had mentioned about Ali was I believe it was Holmes's first fight after having fought Ali um, in, in Las Vegas in that uh, kind of dreadful fight that, you know, that they had had where Ali was, you know, clearly at the end of his career and went out. But yeah, like that, you know, for me, like I have been a fight fan all my life and to be sitting there ringside, like the heavyweight championship of the world, for a person of my generation, there was nothing bigger, right? I mean, it was as big as anything. And so to be there, that was like a great privilege for me. And I was so, so excited about it. And I think it, you know, it's like, that is something that I I think has driven a lot of, like, I've talked to a lot of the young journalists that are getting into the sport or have gotten into the sport in the last few years. And there's been a, a big fight that they've gotten to see you know, on TV or in person, and it motivated them to want to become a uh, professional journalist and, and cover fights. And so that, you know, that is always a a really you know cool thing to see. And it's good in terms of, you know, having the the athletes be able to, uh, I mean, having the, uh, the fighters actually being, or the reporters being able to live their dream out that way. And it's how you get started. Absolutely. Yeah, and not just that, but the where boxing's gone from there, we we had the the period where you had, I would say, a big three or a big four of Tyson, Holyfield, Lewis, and and mm-hmm. these other other guys. Uh, there's one other name which escapes me right now, but we go through that, and then we fast forward to today, where we've got the Riyadh season, which we touched on before. Is boxing shifting away from its North American roots in a way? Well, one of the final columns I wrote for Yahoo, I talked about, you know, 
boxing in Saudi Arabia could kill boxing in Las Vegas because, you know, the casinos here in Las Vegas have spent a lot of money over the years on bringing um, their customers in for high level boxing matches and giving them a great weekend or even week, you know, of experiences culminated in a major fight. And now if all of a sudden you start having the fights like we discussed before, starting at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning, West Coast time, noon, East Coast time, and the main event going off at like, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, West Coast time, four o'clock afternoon, you know, uh, it's better for deadline people, but it's not better for the fans, right? You know, the fans are not in, you know, in position to see that. And it makes me worry, will that kill boxing in the U.S.? Will that be kind of like if, if that becomes the norm and most of the fights are put in Saudi Arabia and uh, held at, at times convenient for the Saudis, does that make the U.S. a less viable market for it? And I, I would argue that it would. So, you know, I hope that I like the idea of boxing as a worldwide sport and seeing everybody taking part and and being part of the business and how things are going. I just hope that it does not become solely a um, a, a venture of Saudi Arabia, because that I don't think would be great for uh, for boxing at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, when it becomes so centralized like that. It's, uh, there's other potential side effects from that. Nevertheless, uh, we'll see how that evolves over time. Now, Kevin, we can find your website, kevinioli.com. Where can we find you on social media? Where can our audience follow you in your, your journalistic uh, journey? So uh, I'm on, I was going to say Twitter, but I guess I should say X, right? <laughs> uh, so I'm on Twitter slash X at Kevin I, K-E-V-I-N-I. And then I'm on Facebook, Instagram. And I, I have not posted. I, I did create a TikTok site. Everything is uh, at Kevin Ioli, just my name, all one word, K-E-V-I-N-I-O-L-E. Okay. We've created a TikTok as well. Uh, Personal Podcasters has a TikTok. I may or may not create a TikTok of my own, just so I can <laughs> learn some more about this, this fandangled, application <laughs> but uh, make sure you follow kevin out there and make sure you subscribe and rate and review this podcast as well as kevin's upcoming podcast when that releases over at kevinioli.com i've been your host Nee wallace bruce kevin ioli has been our fantastic guest and this is psp thanks for tuning into the podcast for even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport left behind.